Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. We are ready. We are. Are you ready? No, but I'm leaning back down, so I'll be comfortable at least. <laughs> Check mark on that. That's good enough. <laughs> All right, we're doing great, though. You're doing great. I know you've got this. You're doing great. You prepared this entire episode. <laughs> you did. are doing great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, like I was finishing this up the other day, like when it was like super long, the the episode notes, and I was thinking about how like I didn't want to go back to I never want to go back to school because I hate writing papers and writing papers is stupid, etc. 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 And then I like looked this over and then I was like I'm sorry, but like, this is basically a paper in and of itself. Like, and I do this with you on a regular, on a pretty regular basis. So yeah, we basically (laughs) write 10 page papers every week. We do. (laughs) (laughs) We do. And I mean, like, we definitely like take turns on like who does the most work sometimes. And sometimes it's like a little bit more equal, understandably, but um, we're kind of amazing. (laughs) and crazy (laughs) although this week i was like (laughs) every time i opened up this episode's notes i was like no and i just closed it immediately Uh, i'm not i'm not doing this 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 whole episode is kaylee like this 100 percent is kaylee oh my gosh i have i have stakes in editing it and I mean, yes. like, the sound editing, but, like, mm-hmm. otherwise, this whole episode is Kaylee. Hey, you did two really important things that I definitely needed your help with. So, you have very much contributed. So. I don't feel like I did anything. <laughs> I watched a, a six-minute video oh. and wrote something down for 20 minutes, and that was it. <laughs> right. Well, like, I was going to try and, like, figure that out because I was like, okay, like, that's a short video. Let me just, like, note it down and, and write something. I got halfway through and then I was like, I think I missed everything. And so I was like, Tracy, I just, I can't do this part. I can do everything else, I guess. But this part. You could do all the hard stuff. You just couldn't. As I I was researching this, there was like the first day I started researching, I was like, I don't understand what I just read. Kaylee, I give up. (laughs) That's understandable. And like, I... Yeah, I got like super freaked out like when I started researching this and then because I did an intro to philosophy class in college is where I I got my first D. I got like one more later on, but my first D ever, which like does not happen. And then like and then my best friend graduated with a philosophy degree. That's literally what she wanted to do. So she would help me with that class and she'd help me with understanding things. And she definitely super seriously helped out with this episode, which was amazing. Um, Katie's the best. I still had to like review this a lot. I'm like, I have to like, like read the words out loud to myself to make sure I was understanding what I was actually writing down. And like, I definitely had to like go back and like over and over it a few times. Honestly, I took philosophy my, I think I took it my sophomore year of college and my philosophy professor was my bishop at this point in time. I love this man so much. Like I I genuinely love this man. And I would get in absolute heated screaming fights with him <laughs> in our class. No way. Because <laughs> I was so what? angry because he would be like the one that I remember the most, the most vivid memory of this class and this argument that we had was it was about reality 
are our brains just in a vat of goo and like being stimulated by electricity, that sort of thing? Is reality just a projection? And so he was like, I need you guys to argue whether or not this table is real. And so like people were bringing up arguments and I'm just angry because I'm like, I hate this and I'm only taking this class because I freaking have to. I don't want to do this. And he looked at me and he could tell I was getting really angry. And so he's like, Tracy, can you tell me if this table is real or not? And I'm like, it's real. And he's like, okay, defend your argument. And I was like, all right, if I picked up this table and slapped you in the face with it, would it not hurt? Does that not make it real? And he was like, (laughs) oh my gosh. (laughs) He stood there and he looked at me like, I cannot believe you just asked me that. I was like, it's fucking real. Tracy. (laughs) Tracy. Oh my gosh. Okay, see, I do understand that though, because the thing with a lot of concepts with when you want to philosophize a topic is there's nothing that you can do about it. Mm -hmm. Like when I like study studied English, I could do something about it. I could write, I could read with a lot of philosophy. The concept is like, if you're arguing what's real, if you're arguing, if God is real, what can you do about it? All you can do is talk and sort through arguments. And it's mostly to me, like a mind game and I, or like a logic game. And I not a logical person. And so like a lot of the time it doesn't work with me. I have enjoyed having like some serious conversations and I did enjoy having the conversations I had with, uh, with my friend Katie about this. It was it was a lot of fun, but like after a while I was done, after I like worked through everything, I was like, that was fun. But now what? There's nothing. This changes the way I can perceive something a little bit, but it doesn't ultimately change a lot of what I'm doing about it because it's still related to some other beliefs. And so I have a better understanding, but right now it's not changing anything. And that's what happens in some of the uh, the philosophy related conversations I've had, which then to me just makes it frustrating. I don't enjoy it at all. And it's all because I don't like dealing in eternal hypotheticals. Like yes. I already have anxiety and my whole <laughs> life is an eternal hypothetical yes. with anxiety. Mm-hmm. I don't need to discuss it on an academic level. Yes. I don't need I'm that. I'm already <laughs> asking, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? How am I going to handle this when this goes wrong? Yes. That is my current, yes. my constant life. I completely understand that. Yeah. Why waste more time thinking about more con- potential problems? Yes. I hate it. It's understandable. I just, I hate it. And I, I can't. Yeah. And so, again, like, God bless you for being able to go through this because I just I got you. Not, I think I could not do it. I completely just like Homer Simpson trying to run a marathon. Like he gets to the starting line and the gun goes off and he just like sits down. Like that's one hundred percent how I was the whole time. Oh my gosh. I feel that wholeheartedly because that literally just remind me, you know, team ball. Yeah the worst version of dodgeball. Mm-hmm. My ward played that a few times when I was in Young Women's. I would just sit down until someone hit me with the ball. That's literally what I would do. So I I feel that very much. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let's now do that it. we've <laughs> bared our souls and shown <laughs> some issues we have, let's dive in. Yeah. So life is hard and it's confusing. 
as we have shared many, many times on this podcast. And it's confusing no matter what your beliefs are. Religion never comes without some sort of confrontation, contention, and confusion. And so today, we want to go back a few steps to the foundation of how we create belief systems with right, truth, reality, and goodness. These four concepts share a lot of similarities and yet are distinct. Today, we're going to dive into these concepts and learn how to differentiate them within the gospel and our personal beliefs. So just as a reminder, in case the last like five minutes of us talking was not clear enough, neither of us are philosophers, theologians, or experts in any way, shape, or form. No. This is based on Kaylee's research, Kaylee's careful study. Oh no. It all and discussion. It all rests on my shoulders. Discussion with her very intelligent philosophical friend. I will say that I have been praying a lot this week that I would have my heart and my mind opened to this discussion because I was like, Heavenly Father, I just don't, I don't, I can't. And he's like, I feel you. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we have been both praying about this, I'm sure. So it's good. But like anyone else, we are bound to make mistakes. We are going to do our best to explore these subjects with you. Um, if you have thoughts, and if you are more well-versed in philosophy, please tell us and send those thoughts our way, because we would greatly appreciate to hear from smarter people than us. Agreed. Exactly. So, all right. So why did we choose to do a <laughs> do an episode on something we really don't understand? Well, because we can. Yeah. <laughs> but we were we were inspired by a by someone that we have been following on social media over the last year for a while. So honestly, Twitter, thank you. We have to give a credit. We have to give a shout out to Bradley Talbot. So he has an account, the underscore Bradpad. And so he talked about this topic last year when he made two tweets about this subject saying, can we have a conversation about the difference between right, truth, reality, and goodness. I feel like it's important, especially when we say things like the one true church and the Book of Mormon is true, because I don't think it means what we think it does. I started contemplating the difference between truth and reality due to my ninth grade English class, but the line, witches can be right, giants can be good, from into the woods has me thinking. There's a big difference between these four concepts, but I don't know how to explain it. We feel you, Bradley. So we are going to try and explore these topics and not just define these concepts, but compare them to one another to get a better understanding of the groundwork of how they work together and why they are different. So let's see how this goes, you guys. Woo-hoo. This can't go too bad, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we are going to start off with right. What is right? A few definitions include the superior moral way. Abstractly, it is justice, ethical correctness, or harmony with the rules of law or the principles of morals. It is something that is correct, whether it is about doing or thinking about something. It is morally good, justified, or acceptable. And then right is the interaction, a verb, of the truth that you choose to believe. For example, we are good people who do right based on truths that we currently believe in. This right becomes an action. It's like the golden rule. The right thing to do is to treat others as we want to be treated. So it's 
basically it's an action it's a verb that we're doing it's not just something that is static especially because right is not always universally understood we can see this within religions and in different cultures there's a right way to use your chopsticks there's a right side of the road to drive on in certain places Right is going to vary where you are depending on the community that you're in, basically. And so that plays into the principles of rightness as well. So there's not just a right way, you know, to do an action, but a right way to live, for example. And the idea of right will change for people. Um, You can take into example the prior belief of animal sacrifices for religion. So that's what people did before Jesus Christ was born. That was the right way to do things. But it's no longer the right way to do things any longer. So nature runs its own path as well, sometimes along the lines of the natural man that we believe is not right. So just because something is right doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it everything. Does that make some sense, Tracy? Yes. Okay. I think the big thing that sticks out is the right side of the road to drive on. Mm-hmm. It's a very subjective thing and it depends. Yes. It really truly depends on where you're from and the culture there. Because like mm-hmm. in America, the right side of the road is literally or the right side of the road to drive on is literally the right. Mm-hmm. But in like India and the UK and um Australia, it's the left side of the road. That's still right for them. It's still correct, but it's not right for us. So it just it completely depends on your surroundings and what you've been raised with. Exactly. Yes. All right. So what is right when it comes to the church? So Elder Richard G. Scott shared in a 1996 BYU address titled Do What is Right, where he said, your decisions are like switch points on a railroad system. They determine where you will end up in life. When you consistently make the right choices, you are the happiest, receive the greatest personal growth, and have the most productive life. When you make the wrong choices, you may find yourself at an entirely different destination than you want. Should there be transgression in your life, repentance will permit you to correct your course. So then right is then interlinked with wrong. It is the opposite. They are on the same spectrum. We, as members of the church, are told to do what is right, to choose the right. Um, We get that in the scriptures, songs, our lessons, everything, all the material from the church. We are told this in a generic sense, though, because there's no definitive right and wrong as explained by the Lord or in scripture. Hear me out before you think I'm committing apostasy. What I'm saying is that there isn't really a verse that says, Verily, thus saith the Lord, your parents are always right and you must obey them. That's not what it says. The closest verse to that would be, you should honor your parents. We make the connection, however, we make the connection for ourselves by understanding that these are commandments to follow. We are giving more vague principles, things, ideas to follow that we then decide are right. We make that connection for ourselves. So we are referred to those sources, to the scriptures, to our personal revelation, for example. That's like our best guide. And so that's where we learn about and apply these teachings of the commandments. That is why then, and I think this sets up an an important example of why not everyone in the church believes in all the exact same things. Because if it was that clear, if it was saying, okay, this is right, this is right, that is wrong, that is wrong, then we would all believe the exact same things. But the, and so, I mean, some commandments are, 
some commands are appear very clear. You shouldn't kill people. That's like the right thing to do. But other ones like the command to honor our parents is going to be interpreted in different ways that allow us to to decide what is truly right. Okay, interestingly enough, the Beyond the Block podcast discussed this very thing a week or two ago when they shared on their Instagram, the spirit will tell you which rules to break. Sometimes living the gospel will mean straying from convention or breaking rules. As the spirit directs, that's all right. The prime example with this is in First Nephi, when Nephi is commanded to kill Laban. So you had literally just said a second ago. Literally just said that that was right. And then it can still be wrong. Yes, that like murder is something that's universally acknowledged as the wrong thing to do. But the Lord approved it. And the spirit was like, you need to do this for a wise purpose, which you do not know yet. But it's, you know, the Lord is telling you to do this. As we see this from the scriptures, And I guess now from philosophy in general, doing the right thing will not be the same right thing for everyone. It completely depends on your upbringing, your religion, your societal norms, and even the law. And so like things will change. Like right is very subjective. It is a very fluid kind of thing. Exactly. Well, then it's like really interesting because we like to correlate right or rightness with morality so if you're doing if you want to do the right thing then you have to have morals but morals can be a little bit more abstract than that um, which means that and our morals can stay the same even though the right can change as we go we can tell say that our morals um, are about you know like loving each other and doing that kind of thing but then people are going to understand that differently so their idea of following that and doing the right thing is going to vary an example of that like how people can view right differently is i mean you can look at any church in the world of them doing the wrong thing between 20 to 80 percent of the time you can look at cult you can look at the westboro baptist church and you can even look at our church that has done wrong in the past churches are still led by humans who will not always make the right choices do they think that they are making the right choice sure but it's their right which is subjective as we've said and it's not going to be our right okay so there was a really intriguing article on the barian Bible study website by Pastor Kevin Sadler. He it's titled Being Right versus the Truth. And he said that many stubbornly dig their heels and just want to feel that they are right, even when there is scripture against what they believe. The truth never changes. There is always a possibility that our fallible opinion of what we think is right is not the truth. So he did dive into that a little bit deeper, but I absolutely love that. Some people just love to argue. Some people want to just dig their heels in the sand and will obstinately believe that whatever they want to believe, no matter if there's scripture that differentiates, no matter what you know the people they support believe, and so on. They just care about being right. Exactly. They don't always care about the truth. So speaking of the truth, let's dive into what that is. So what is truth? Truth is statements that reflect the way reality really is. Truth is facts understood as simply those which are true, 
Truth is the property of being in accord with fact or reality. Truth is a property not so much of thoughts and ideas, but more properly of beliefs and assertions. Now, one point that was very much highlighted to me in my conversation with my friend Katie is that there are two types of truth, at least in the philosophical world, in the philosophical sense. We're not always going to like consider this when we're talking about truth, but I did want to highlight it. So it's basically considered lowercase truth or capital T truth. So lowercase truth is essentially what we believe to be true. We learn science by testing hypotheses until something works. Um, even if you can prove a hypothesis is works, it doesn't necessarily make, make it always correct, you know? So we can take the truth that the sky is blue. That's the truth. That's what we can look out the window and we can see blue in the sky. So then the sky is blue. However, capital T truth is universally acknowledged accuracy. Something that humans don't really, we, we can't really have that much of. So back to my concept of lowercase truth says that the sky is blue. Capital T truth knows all the knowledge on why that is or is not true. So if we pulled in, if we brought in a scientist, they could explain whether or not this is scientifically accurate, for example. Like we can see it, but it doesn't necessarily make it true. Uh, for another example, there is a something for something that's a little bit more tangible. There is a truth of how many people were within the boundaries of San Francisco on New Year's Eve for 2021 for into this new year. There like that is something that could technically have been counted because there are there's a there's a boundary, there's an a finite amount of people and so on. So if you got it right when the ball dropped, there would be a tangible amount of people. So the fact that that number exists makes it a capital T truth. However, we can't really prove it. We just know that it's it cannot be proven otherwise. So we can say something is true by knowing it's not necessarily real or right, like the church. We believe that the church is true. That's something that we say all the time in our testimonies. The church is true. Our prophets are true. What they say is true, etc. But as we believe this, we can't necessarily prove it. This is just our belief. Our experiences are our own. You can see this, by the way, of people who leave the church, people who are not part of the church. They like We can't prove that it is true to them. If it was true, then everyone would be theoretically a member. So that's not something we can prove. We can, see, we can say that people have seen angels, but that's not a universal knowledge. That's something that not everyone can prove. And in a way, it's only their own reality. Thus, it can't be capital T truth. It kind it's really hard to work through, to be honest. Like I was getting tripped up a little bit in this conversation with Katie, but it was just really interesting to consider. I don't say this and I don't share this to try and give anybody a faith crisis. When I was reviewing this with Katie, it made me think of our first semester of college together, which like that's how we met. And we had so many people go through a faith crisis in my tiny university because we were studying like the, the Old Testament and people were freaking out about it. They're like, what? Like, this doesn't make sense in the church. Like, this can't be right. This can't be true. And like the class is 75% LDS and they were just having such a hard time with it. I, I just feel I feel bad for them. I feel bad for anyone who has a faith crisis because that's not a fun experience to go through. Because I think what we want most of the time is we want that capital T truth. We want to be able to trust something so much 
that there cannot be a single doubt in our minds. We want the church, we want the scriptures to have capital T truth so that it is universally acknowledged to be accurate. So that when we falter, we know how to pick ourselves up. I mean, that would be that would be really nice. That would be ideal. But the thing is, when it comes to religion, we greatly rely on faith. We might have personal experiences that speak to us in various ways. We can say that it gives us more truth uh, in a certain concept, but it's just building up our belief, our faith of something. It'll help us have a better understanding of our own faith, of our own truth, and keep us from... I don't want to say that it'll keep us from falling, but it will help us to understand how to pick ourselves back up. In a way, I find it kind of comforting that there's lowercase truth that is more universally acknowledged than there is capital T truth. Because if you think about the gospel in terms of it being lowercase truth, that should give you some sort of comfort when people leave or when they don't believe in the gospel right away as soon as they hear it because it it's true for you but it might not be true for them like it might not ring true and resonate true the same way that it resonates true for you especially if you think about people in your life that have left the church who previously knew that it was true I don't want to say hurtful. It becomes less hurtful in a way. There's less pain. I the pain is a little bit softer. Yeah, because then you're not like this is a this is a full capital T universal truth <laughs> that like has to be acknowledged by everyone. Yeah. When in reality, like everyone's faith journey is their own, and so thinking about exactly. the gospel in lowercase t truth form mm. makes it softer. And makes it less like a life and death situation, like some people tend to make it out to be. Oh, agreed. Like, I mean, I'm not going to blare out Katie's whole life, but she did share with me that she is very much focused on truth in her life. And like she she graduated in philosophy. She's amazing. She became a lawyer. She's doing great things. And she did leave the church. And when that happened, like that was scary and hard for me. I, I like we went to college together. I'd heard her bear her testimony before. And so for me, like that led to like a small mini faith crisis. Um, like it's happened with like a few other people that I've known who have left. And it's like, okay, if I know someone with that strong of a testimony, if I know someone that smart and amazing, like what does that say about me? Like, am I wrong in everything that I do and I believe? And that was really hard. And it was interesting to talk about this as well. It was just really enlightening to me. And I did end up feeling some comfort afterward as like as scary as philosophy is. Um, I found I did find that comfort. It hurt a little bit less because I could see that she was happy in her knowledge and everything that she was learning. Like she was she's on her own faith journey. She's on her own journey in life and figuring out things for herself. And I'm happy for wherever that takes her. I can also find happiness in my own journey as well. We can be we can still be very good friends and still be on completely different journeys. That's totally okay. All right. So how about truth within the church? So we are going to be focusing on the easier and better understood concept of the truth, um, lowercase truth, because that's kind of what we stick with. So truth from our understanding within the church is eternal. It doesn't change. Truth is not subjective. It doesn't choose a side. It's not about right or wrong, good or bad. Sometimes it hurts and sometimes it heals. So the thing is, though, while truth may not change, our understanding of it can. 
For example, people believed that they found the truly perfect way to solve ailments by bleeding people with leeches, especially when they were deathly ill. This is such a brilliant example, Tracy. This was perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. It, <laughs> so this, this process, however, they thought it was right. They thought it was true. It was, however, proven otherwise with time, with knowledge and science, and proven to actually show that it was doing the exact opposite. It was killing people because they were being depleted of their red and white blood cells, which white blood cells, which carry your immune system and help you heal like you needed that. And so they were killing people instead of helping them. So it's not about the truth changing, it's our understanding of it changes. And there's a great supporting statement shared by President Joseph F. Smith. He said, we believe in all truth, no matter to what subject it may refer. No sect or religious denomination in the world possesses a single principle of truth that we do not accept or that we will reject. We are willing to receive all truth from whatever source it may come, for truth will stand truth will endure i just i thought that was really nice all right i know i'm doing a lot of the talking if you want to do it i don't have anything okay. to interject <laughs> okay. i just really like that quote <laughs> it was really good <laughs> all right all right so elder john h vandenberg gave a talk titled what is truth in the 1978 april general conference so in this talk he brought up john chapter 18 where you know it's, it's jesus going through his trials he's before a pontius Pilate, and jesus says everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice this prompted Pilate to ask him what is truth however he didn't give him jesus time to answer Vandenberg explained, those who are of the truth are those who sincerely seek after it. All of mankind should be seekers after truth, for it is the supreme essence of their lives. And so he went on to say in his talk, truth is knowledge. This is life eternal. And they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's referenced in John seventeen three. Truth defined is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like how we are able to tie in truth within our beliefs. I think that's very important for us to have um, in our foundation for our testimonies and our understanding of very important principles. And so how do we learn truth through the church? We do it through revelation. And so we teach it was upon the desire for revelation about the truth that brought about the restoration of the gospel in the first place. Joseph Smith wanted to seek out which church was true. It's up to us to do the same. We, and we can't do that relying on the prophets or, or our family. We have to seek revelation and understanding for ourselves to learn the truth. And so back to Vandenberg, he said, It has been said of our belief in divine revelation that this declaration of religious belief in the divine found fountain in the divine fountain of truth and his revelation thereof to man embraces all truth in the universe. Whether revealed or yet to be revealed, whether made known through the inspiration of the Almighty that giveth understanding to the spirit of man in his discoveries and developments in the material things of life or whether it manifests in things visible or in things invisible to mortal eyes. It embraces every scientific truth, every historic truth, every truth in philosophy or logic or demonstrable fact. That is the scope of revealed religion. It is a system of law and order which prevails under heavenly control. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just really like that because sometimes it feels like religion is kind of 
a floozy concept. Like it's, we're just making beliefs up as we go. We're just making things up. We're reconstructing the same concepts from every other religion and so on. There's no groundwork to it. There's no foundational structure. But Vandenberg is saying otherwise. Like we, we support truth we and we believe it we believe in science we believe in philosophy we believe in logic and fact and you need to have that within your religion like that's how you can build up your faith that's how you can grow that's so important i think what's really important also out of this discussion about truth is that everyone is supposed to be diligently pursuing the truth in this life especially because there are so many people who you'll easily find online who just want to argue that they know everything just because they they are self-proclaimed experts in this thing and they refuse to do research, they refuse to read, they refuse to hear from other people because they don't want to be wrong or they don't want their truth to be eliminated. And I think it's so important that we focus on the fact that Christ is literally teaching us that we need to be constantly seeking after truth in our lives. And if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, and if you feel like you're doing the right thing by following Jesus Christ, you should be continuously seeking the truth and not just resting on what you already know, because there is always more that we could be learning in life. I guess it boils back down to the leeches thing. Like if scientists were unwilling to figure out why all of their patients were dying after leeching experiences or experiments, then they would have never figured out that medical advancement. They would have been like, no, no, no. I went to medical school. I know what I'm talking about. Leeches are effective. And we would still be leeching people today in 2021. It's important that we keep seeking the truth, whether it's through study or through prayer and revelation. We just need to continuously seek after the truth. So important. I love it. And I mean, is it scary? Yes, but you need to put yourself in a place and find yourself a place where you can search for the truth and be willing to accept it as you find it. All right. So before we move on, let's quickly go over right versus truth. Thankfully, on this on these two topics, it's pretty easy to explore these discussions on the internet. So we were able to find some helpful insights on Quora under the question, is there a difference between the truth and the right thing? So here's a few pointers. Truth is immutable. Truth is neither right nor wrong. Truth is at times not acceptable. Truth is supreme compared to right. So for example, when governments with the right with the right intent lie to people, then people prefer conservative with true ideology, though with the wrong intent. Truth is objective, i.e. factual. It can be proven either empirically or logically. On the other hand, right is not empirically proven. It is subjective. It involves value judgment. So what is right for me may not be right in your opinion. Right is relativistic. It is individually or socially constructed. There is no absolute right, but there are absolute truths. Further, right has temporal variations, which we've discussed. So what is right today may not be right tomorrow. Think leeching. All right. So we hope you are still with us because now we're on to the fun one. Hello, science fiction time. What is reality? So let's go over a few descriptions. What is reality? Basically, it's everything. Reality is the sum or aggregate of all that is real or existent 
within a system as opposed to that which is only imaginary. The term is also used to refer to the ontological status of things, indicating their existence. So basically, something can be true but not real, and real but not true. But this does not mean that reality equals existence. Okay, so in Psychology Today, there is an article by Dr. Marduk Seider and Dr. Karen Dubin titled, What is Reality? Okay, so they write, seeing means seeing what is real, what's true, what the truth is, and what reality is. Almost everyone would likely say that truth or reality is relative and subjective, and they would be correct in the sense that everyone's truth, reality, or world does come from within, from his or her mind, which is then projected onto the outside, which he or she then observes. David Bohm, one of the most influential physicists of the 20th century, once said, thought creates the world and then says, I didn't do it. So yes, we each live our own truth, our own world, and our own reality. Each one of them is a product of our own mind being operated from a foundation of illusion. Yeah, I see that. So reality is both the same and different for everyone. We are all living breathing beings who are experiencing a journey through this alive state until we are effectively done. And it's really fascinating just because reality can change a little bit for everyone. We all have our own perceptions. We're all going to say and think that, oh, this person's so mean to me. This person clearly doesn't like me. And then, you know, they can be wrong about that. Like that happens, you know, um, because we are, we are putting our thoughts out into the world and that's how we're deciding what's really happening. So let's dive into reality within the church. This one is trickier because you won't find a lot of material regarding the actual term of reality. Because reality is mortality in regard <laughs> to the church. There you go. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's reality is not like a conventional term that's going to be used on the church website. If you want to look at things like from mortality, go for it. Uh, the closest thing I could find was a, devo- a BYU devotional from 2009 by Elder David A. Bednar. This devotional was titled Things As They Really Are. And so he shared from the Book of Mormon, The Spirit speaketh the truth and lieth not. Wherefore, it speaketh of things as they really are and of things as they really will be. Wherefore, these things are manifested unto us plainly for the salvation of our souls. Uh, Elder Bednar said, we live at a time when technology can be used to replicate reality, to augment reality, and to create virtual reality. For example, a medical doctor can use software simulation to gain valuable experience performing a complicated surgical operation without ever putting a human patient at risk. A pilot in a flight simulator repeatedly can practice emergency landing procedures that could save many lives. A high degree of fidelity in the simulation or model contributes to the effectiveness of the experience. The simulation can be constructive if the fidelity is high and the purposes are good. For example, providing experience that saves lives or improves the quality of life. Essentially, what I got from this is if we cannot tell the difference between reality and that which is not real, then we are in trouble. We will not know the truth. And without the truth, how can we do then what is right? So to me, like these all build onto each other. We need to understand reality 
and know what we're working with. And then from that, we can learn things. We can learn knowledge. We can learn the truth. And then with the truth, we can learn to do what is right. Okay, so while this part was pretty clear, Benner also does a lot of talking about the dangers of internet friends, which <laughs> you don't really see as an issue anymore. Let's be real, you guys. Let's Especially not real. during a pandemic. Hello. Like, <laughs> when all of our friends are internet friends. Yep. Yeah. So that is what a 12-year-old talks. All right. So let's see how we can relate this to a more modern day concept. So when we allow ourselves to get distracted by something off the path, then we don't know where we're walking, right? So without the light, we cannot tell what is real. We will have a harder time discerning the world around us. This can be heavily applied to relationships. If we don't have a clear groundwork and foundation in these relationships, if the relationship is built on a lie or, or different ideas that have not been agreed upon, then how can it remain? And so this is really important for us in being able to understand reality. It's not so much about depending on other people's concept of reality, but we need to have a well enough understanding on how it operates so that we can continue to progress. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So we need to have an awareness of the rea- the reality around us. That's basically it. That means understanding what is really going on around us as well. That means not just making up preconceived notions that you've had in your head forever, but really doing your work to understand things in the church and politics, among our friends and families, and so much more. We need to be understanding things and not allowing ourselves to get swung about all the time. Knowledge is required to understand this reality. It may differ for people because of their circumstances, because of their mental health and other issues. But just because your reality is different from someone else's, it doesn't mean that you should disregard what they experience. Yes, realities are going to be different and we're going to have basic overall concept that we agree upon. That's what society has done. We've decided on our laws. We've decided on the concept of jobs and all these other things. We, we have a mutual agreement on several matters, but there are going to be times where it does differ. You're going to see social injustices, for example, and just because they are different because they're not in your personal reality, it does not necessarily make them wrong. Yeah, that's the time when we need to listen to what they're saying, understand things from the way that they've been raised, their perception and their viewpoints. And we need to acknowledge that there are some things that we're never going to understand because that's not our reality. And we just have to love them and support them regardless. Exactly. All right. On to the comparisons, right versus reality. So as we've discussed, attached to reality is our perception, our beliefs. The opposite of reality is our imagination, what we're making up. What is right is a moral objective, the concept of something being fair and just and moral. We view these within our reality. What is right is decided upon within our reality. When our perception changes, our idea of right and wrong may also shift. Okay, and so this is just a callback to... My earlier mention of my college class, it wasn't at BYU or anything. It was at a private liberal arts college and people were having faith crises because they had preconceived notions that they were struggling to adjust. And so we need to understand that reality helps us to lay the groundwork of understanding like what's real and then we can grow up, grow from that point up into truth and knowledge. All right. So then for truth versus reality... That one's a little trickier. So truth is eternal, as we've discussed, but is reality 
Not necessarily, because we may view truth differently because of the way we see our reality. But while we might learn new lessons through this reality, the truth will remain the same. We just might see more behind the truth and around the truth. Yes, exactly. So then we're going to dive into Tracy's big part. (laughs) This is your time to shine, Tracy. This is my time to shine. (laughs) I understood something Kaylee didn't. Yay. Which never happens. Okay. So so Kaylee sent me this five minute video from Ted Ed called Truth versus Perception versus Reality by Trevor Maber. So this video was actually really fascinating and insightful. So I highly recommend checking it out. Um, It highlights how essentially everybody has a ladder in their brain that takes in information one rung at a time from the bottom up to process it. And it's called the ladder of inference model. So the first rung on the bottom is observation. So that's the experience and your surroundings, what you are literally witnessing around you. The next rung up is select data. So that's when you are pulling out key sights, sounds, feelings, textures, etc. The things that are most important to you in your observation. So like with us podcasting right now, the select data that I'm picking up are the microphone in my hand, the earbuds in my ears, Kaylee's face on my screen, reading things. So like those are the select data that I'm pulling. The next rung up is meanings. So our brains automatically assign meeting, meanings to our observations. We can't do anything about it. It just happens. Our brain has to give everything around us a meaning or a purpose. And so that's, it just happens. The next rung up would be assumptions. So after we have made an observation, we've pulled data, and our brains have assigned meanings to things, we immediately make an assumption based on our experience in life and we project those experiences onto the people or things around us because of the meaning that we have created in our minds. The next rung up is conclusions. So we draw conclusions based on our assumptions, not on anything else. It's not really based on fact. It's not based on capital T truth. It's based on our own assumptions. And from those assumptions, we go to the next rung, which is beliefs. We create beliefs and adopt them based on our assumptions and our conclusions. And then our final step is actions. We act on our preconceived notions and beliefs. So I would like to relate this in a way that fits us as like members of the church and as just Christians and humans in general. So I would like to relate this to how we treat one another at church. So I am going to create a person. We will call her Agnes because who is actually named Agnes anymore? We have never seen this woman before in our ward. She has bright blue hair. She has multiple tattoos on her arms and legs and a couple of facial piercings. I'll let you guys imagine where. And she is wearing some gnarly black Doc Martin boots, which honestly... As I was writing this, I was like, I would probably want to be her friend, but that's just me. Um, So anyways, by all degrees, she looks completely different from anyone typically in an LDS meeting house. She walks in, she doesn't say anything to anyone, and she quietly sits in the pew next to your family. Now, as we're going through this ladder, we've already gone through the first rung and made an observation. Now we are selecting data. 
You noticed her hair color. You noticed her tattoos. You noticed her piercings and her outfit. Why did you register those? What do they mean to you? Well, from your upbringing, you have been taught that people who have blue hair, tattoos, and piercings have a rough life, they can't work in traditional jobs, and they usually have a drug addiction of some sort. You have immediately assigned meanings to her. Next, you are assuming that she's at church either to clean up her life or she got physically lost and couldn't possibly be in that building on purpose. To add insult to injury on your assumptions, you convince yourself that that has to be the reason she's there and that there's no way she could have possibly chosen to come to church on purpose. So you justify your emotions. You think that someone must have dared her to be there and that she's in the chapel to make fun of your place of worship and the way that you believe, and you will not stand for that. Finally, you decide to take action. You don't want to be outright rude and say something offensive to her because you've been taught to be kind to others. So you choose to say something about her appearance to your friend or your spouse sitting next to you or warn the children that are around you to stay in school so they don't end up looking like her. We're not done with this scenario yet. So next, your bishop enters the chapel. He walks over to her and taps her on the shoulder. The two of them shake hands, talk, and he escorts her up to sit on the stand. As he opens sacrament meeting, he announces that he is excited to introduce the new stake family history specialist who will be opening the meeting to talk about the new initiatives the stake is rolling out and how her educational background in history and genealogy will help members unite with their ancestors. (sighs) Yes, we need that. Suddenly, you realize your assumptions were incorrect, and you not only feel dumb for making a critical comment to the people around you, but you wish you could have taken time to change the way you perceived her from the beginning. Heck yes. Oh, that's good. The thing about this whole, the ladder of inference from that video is that you completely do have the power to stop your assumptions from growing into conclusions, beliefs, and actions. You 100% have the power to make observations. And yes, you can select that data and notice that she has blue hair and tattoos and facial piercings. And guess what? You can choose to not make assumptions. You can choose to not draw conclusions. You can choose to not make actions and do something that you will later regret. You can choose to stop that whole process of information and be like, you know what, brain, actually, we're gonna stop right there just on the observation, and we're gonna give this person a chance to tell us who they are before I make a decision about them. I thought that that whole explanation of truth and reality and perception is important to highlight in this because our perception shapes our reality. And if we are not cutting that or halting some of our perceptions, then our realities can become better. Yes, we very much do need that. I love that. I've been through that mindset. I know that mindset super well, and I have worked super hard to change it. It is possible. You guys can do it if you feel the need to, if you want to. It takes some time, and you're going to slip up on occasion, but it's totally worth it. All right, diving into our last section. Goodness, what is it? So this can definitely go in a lot of different directions as well, especially when we bring in religion. 
that adds some weight. So let's see what we can learn. Goodness is a positive value we assign to particular things. Good conduct, opposite of bad. It's a better way of making decisions during provided actions. It is holy, pure, and righteousness. All right, so I didn't want to dive in too much on that because I want to focus on the goodness that we consider within the church. Because when it comes to scriptures, goodness lives with godliness. Elder Dale G. Redland's April 2020 talk, general conference talk, was titled, Consider the Goodness and Greatness of God. He said, The consistency of pleas from prophets to reflect on the goodness of God is striking. Our Heavenly Father wants us to recall His and His beloved Son's goodness, not for their own gratification, but for the influence such remembrance has on us. By considering their kindness, our perspective and understanding are enlarged. By reflecting on their compassion, we become more humble, prayerful, and steadfast. So it's not that goodness is right. It's goodness as in trying to be good, trying to be moral in a way. So we are invited, commanded really, to be good. We know that people of all faiths have died and have been sacrificed, acting as martyrs for their faith. We know that the world will not always value our beliefs, but goodness still has a different value than than right. And we can see that throughout our reality. Goodness cannot stand alone. Doing good without meaning to do good doesn't necessarily make it good. And so that's one of the reasons like I had a hard time trying to define what good is. So uh, we're just going to go and dive into the comparisons. So right versus goodness. Right and wrong are on one spectrum, while good and bad are on another spectrum. They can sometimes be parallel, sometimes they can be opposite, and sometimes they run perpendicular. To consider them to be equitable synonyms isn't quite doing either of them justice. We can be right or do the right thing, which is an action. Good is a connotation we take up when we make that decision. So the idea of right depends on our reality, though truth does not. Goodness is us deciding on that right thing. As said before, we have to be careful to consider that right does not equal good and that good doesn't always equal right. So as I was reading these notes last night, I was like going right back into Into the Woods because of Bradley and also because of right does not equal good and good does not always equal right. Um, So what I thought about is Little Red Riding Hood from Into the Woods and the song I Know Things Now. So she recaps the entire story of being tricked by the wolf and eaten in this song. She says, quote, And I know things now, many valuable things that I hadn't known before. Do not put your faith in a cape and a hood. They will not protect you the way that they should. And take extra care with strangers. Even flowers have their dangers. And though scary is exciting, nice is different than good. It took a lot to not sing that. I hope you understand that. I was kind of really wishing you would, but I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so in the musical and with her character, we can see very clearly that Red is warned about strangers. She's warned about the dangers of the woods and she is taught to stay on the path. And yet she chooses otherwise because she wants to pick flowers for her grandmother who is sick. She chooses otherwise because she's because a quote-unquote nice wolf or man 
talks to her and tries to be her quote-unquote friend in the woods. She thinks she is doing good and choosing good because it's flowers and it's just talking or it's making a friend, but she doesn't see that not everything nice or friendly is good. She learns it the hard way by literally being eaten by a wolf. It's important that we see that difference and distinction between right and goodness, that sometimes things that we think are good are not going to be the right thing for us to do because they are a wolf in disguise or going off the path to get flowers because we think that that's what we should be doing, when in reality, we should be staying and doing what we already know is right and good and we've been warned to do. And I'm not trying to say this in a way of like, stay on the covenant path, don't leave the church. No, I'm not trying to say that and like scare you into staying in the church or whatever. I'm just saying like, there are going to be times in your life when you feel like I'm doing the right thing, but this other thing is happening and I think it's good also, but I'm not 100% sure about it. And if you're not 100% sure about doing anything, you probably shouldn't do it. I'm going to say that from my own personal experiences in my life. Not everything that you think is good is actually good for you. Simple as that, you guys. Moving on from right versus goodness, we're going to dive into truth versus goodness. So this one was really hard to <laughs> to research on because there's something about transcendentalism, transcendentalism that kept coming up while exploring truth and goodness. Uh, transcendentalism is about three concepts tying in together with their connections, which is truth beauty, and goodness. So Thomas DeBay wrote The Evidential Power of Beauty, Science, and Theology Meet. Uh, that's a book where he said, truth, beauty, and goodness have their being together. By truth, we are put in touch with the reality, which we find is good for us and beautiful to behold. In our knowing, loving, and delighting, the gift of reality appears to us as something infinitely and inexhaustively valuable and fascinating. So we use truth to do good. The more we understand something, the more we know how to behave and react and what to do. However, truth is not a moral concept. We've discussed this. It doesn't stand on the side of good or bad in any way. Rather, it stands on its own precepts. Goodness is then reliant on the truth. At least it should be because we, because we can believe we are doing good without having the truth. And occasionally we will be making mistakes along the way. For example, this is how people have justified bad behavior in the past, such as allowing homophobia and transphobia and racism in their churches and cultures without the truth. Goodness will not always be a part of the truth, and the truth will always not be that good. Yeah, I feel that. So much. I'm just thinking about like all the times I've heard like people thinking that they are speaking truth, and then they are just do- they're just hurting people. They're hurting themselves, and it's just sad. It's hard. All right, so then we dive into reality versus goodness. So goodness lies both inside and outside of reality. It is a principle that we rely on within any belief system or perception that goes beyond any type of moral code. Hello, Plato. So I did watch another video on, this one came on Coursera. It's on a course uh, by the University of Pennsylvania. Gotta love Coursera. So the course is called Ancient Philosophy, Plato and His Predecessors. Okay, so the allegory of the cave. I actually do remember this one from philosophy. Nice. It's like the only one I've like, okay, no, I remember three things from philosophy, but this is the most clear one. So in case anyone needs a refresher or hasn't really heard it, 
I'm going to run you through it really, really quickly, really roughly. So it's about four men, give or take a few, are chained inside of a cave. This is the only life, the only world that they know. An old type of projector is set up on the wall before them with shadow figures and fire, showing them a flat and colorless world that is only light and dark. This is their only life. One day, two of the men are freed and leave the cave to find a 3D colorful world. They have the sun. They have plants. They have smells. They have all sorts of things. They are clearly amazed. They run, explore, and then they go back to the cave to tell the other two men. The other two men, however, do not care and do not understand what they are saying. They cannot conceive of what of what they're talking about. So roughly, Plato's concept is that our experience is our reality. We experience manufactured realness in the world. There are further realities in what he terms the intelligent realm that have abstract concepts. The more we know and understand these abstract concepts, the further we can go into the realm. And it just keeps going on. It builds off it, off itself. So Plato's argument is that our visible world is less real than that which is abstract. The abstract is the most real thing. Goodness is more real, more true than reality. And it's really interesting because he's because the belief is that within this intelligent realm, there is an underlying order to the world. And so I think this is where we begin to access that concept of goodness. So the teacher in this course explains that with this belief, goodness is not simply an objective feature of the world, something that exists independently of what we happen to believe or desire. It is also a structural principle of reality. This is fascinating stuff. So these are four concepts that are very intriguing and very unique and definite. It, it, it was just super fascinating. And I really liked what someone shared. Someone commented on Bradley Talbot's thoughts. And so this comes from the account Results Raven. And they said, to me, they are all different. But when you zoom out, they all become differing perceptions of the human experience. They also all become excellent words with fuzzy meanings that can be used to easily manipulate. Other terms like this include fair, logical, and love. So, yeah, our understanding will differ on all these things, which are going to impact how we see things, how we understand everything. And so, like like we said, like some of these concepts are going to merge and kind of spill into the other one, and sometimes they'll be totally separate. When I was talking to Katie, one point that she made was that it would have been great to bring in the concept of belief. And we did reference that frequently throughout today's episode, and we'll definitely have to save it for another time sometime in the future um, because we are out of time. We like this is a long episode. We know. Thank you for listening. And we hope that as you've listened to us, that you've begun to think for yourself about your own perceptions and your own beliefs to consider how you can better understand these concepts and build your faith in whatever way works best for you. So today, we just wanted to give you an idea of what these concepts really mean and how they correlate to, to one another. And hopefully we've done a pretty decent job with that. Um, I want to share a parting quote by President Boyd K. Packer, president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. So he taught, our spirit and our body are combined in such a way that our body becomes an instrument of our mind and the foundation of our character. Thus, our relationships with other people our capacity to recognize and act in accordance with truth 
and our ability to obey the principles and ordinances of the gospel of Jesus Christ are amplified through our physical bodies. In the classroom of mortality, we experience tenderness, love, kindness, happiness, sorrow, disappointment, pain, and even the challenges of physical limitations in ways that prepare us for eternity. So I just thought that was relevant to what we've talked about today and to see how we can correlate that to the physical lives that we are living to to our souls and how we operate within this world. We know that we've really only touched on the bare basics, on the bare bones of what these concepts are. And as we've said, we're definitely not experts. There was a lot of research that went into this. Like we did our best to to do this philosophically heavy and confusing episode. Honestly, I think back to what Bradley said at the the tweet that started it all with that other quote from the song, no one is alone from into the woods. Witches can be right. Giants can be good. But that's not the whole quote. The whole quote is witches can be right. Giants can be good. You decide what's right. You decide what's good. I feel like it's important to remember that last piece because I mean, as you, if you've never seen the play before or if you have seen the play before the whole premise of the play is that like the witch is trying to break a curse that she originally set but ultimately like she is giving everyone warnings and they are not listening to her warnings and she's right the entire play similarly like the giant that comes in in the middle of the play does something i'm not gonna say what it is but the giant does something and what initially seemed like a bad thing ends up being a good thing and so it just changes where all of the characters perceptions of what is right and what is good changes as the play goes on and it reflects back to all of us that truly we have the power to decide what's right we have the power to decide what's good it just completely depends on our willingness to trust our perceptions to seek truth to trust our upbringing and trust what's right and what's good and do what's right and what's good or do our best to try to do what's right and what's good and to continuously seek after the truth so that way we can continuously improve. I will be the first one to say that I was confused for a solid week of this episode preparation. I feel like things are a lot clearer now because it's helped me to see that everyone's reality is different, which I already knew. But because everyone's reality is different, everyone's version of right, good, true, everything in between is going to be different. And we have to just respect that. That's what we have to do. We don't have to do exactly what they're doing. No one is making us do that, but we just have to stand by and accept that they are acting in the best way that they can with the knowledge and the experiences that they have. And we have to trust that they will do what is best for their lives and respect that and know that we should be doing the same for our own lives. Exactly. Yes. On that, it makes me just really want to like dive into all knowledge more. I don't know how to like be any more clear on that. Like it's, it's just emphasizing how much that I still need to learn as a person in every way of my life, especially in the church. I do want to understand all the different principles. I want to understand why we believe certain things. I want to understand this. I want to understand that. And no one else can do that for me. I have to learn that for myself. I have to be on my own faith journey 
just like everyone else needs to be on their own. It's not that we're so alone on them because we're going to interact with one another on the way. For anyone listening to us, like you're on your own faith journey and you're connecting with us right now. And that's awesome. And we hope that whatever journey you're on takes you down the path that is meant for you because that, yeah, it's going to be different for everyone. And you are going to reach some hard points and you're going to get scared sometimes and you might have some faith crises. And we just want you to know that that's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. We are right here beside you in any way that we can be and do for you. And so, as we've said a thousand times before, we don't understand everything. We're still learning. But this is what we've been able to learn. And we really hope that you're able to take something away with this and that you can apply it to your own life and decide for yourself what is right, what is good, what's your reality, what is goodness to you, and how you can use all of that to live the best life possible and hopefully to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Exactly. So thank you guys for listening and joining us on this philosophical journey. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.